So as we look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to see kind of three parts of it. The first is verses 1 through 3, who we once were. Paul gives a, a really clear description of what we were apart from Christ or before Christ. And then verses 4 through 9, he describes for us who we are now. And so we're going to talk about that. And then in verse 10, he talks about how we are to truly live. And it's really the application of those first two things as we think about how we're truly supposed to live for Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to look at. Now, all of us like to think about being happy. We like to read stories that have a happily ever after type ending. And, and really, verse 10 is that happily ever after ending for us because the end, the end of our path, is eternal life with Jesus Christ. We can't forget that. But before we go to that end and what that means as it works out in our life on a day-to-day -day basis, we have to take a look back at what we once were. And that's really where this passage begins. So it says in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So notice there in that verse, the verb tenses were. You were dead. And the Bible is very clear about the result of sin in our lives. It has one and only one outcome, death. Now the world around us likes to glamorize sin. And certainly, at certain times, sin is fun in the moment. I mean, it would be, we would be wrong to ignore the fact that, that there are things that you do that in the moment might be fun, but the end of those things is death. And that's really what this passage is getting at. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And then in verses 2 and 3, Paul describes our life before Christ. He gives us a really accurate description of how we once walked when we were dead in our trespasses and sins before Jesus came into our heart and did that work that he did in our hearts. This is what our life was about. It says, dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, we followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And notice what verse 3 says, that we lived according to the passions of our flesh, we carried out the desires of our body, and we carried out the desires of our mind. So that's an accurate de description of where we were before Christ. We were headed the wrong way, and we let the wrong things dominate our thoughts and our desires. Our motivation was totally skewed. And the end of that path is death. So these verses provide us a clear picture of really where we were headed and how far we needed to be brought up from that endless path that led to death that we were on before Christ. So I want us to think about, though, why Paul is mentioning these verses. And I think it's important to understand from an application perspective, why would he mention this? What purpose does it serve if we look back on our lives and we see this the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what does that mean to us today? Well, first, we have to understand that our sin deserved death. This passage makes it clear. But I think that awareness of that is important because we understand that what we deserved was death. That's not what we got. And so that's the first thing we have to learn. We, before Christ, 
there was no happily ever after ending for us. That's kind of the message of this passage. And our thoughts and everything we did was in, focused in the wrong direction. So as we look back, we're supposed to remember that and see that as kind of a contrast. But here's the amazing thing, is this little transition that's given in verse 4. But God. See, that's, that's what happened before. That's who you were before Christ. And if you don't know Christ and you're here today, this transformation is available for you right now in this moment. It's, it's absolutely available to you. This transformation, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he loved us then, he made us alive together with Christ. So this is the transformation that happened. And it's, it's an amazing transformation when you think about where we were headed compared to where we're going. So the truth is so important. If any one of us is in Christ, we're a new creation. And that, that's what, that's what we're called. Paul uses that phrase. We're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That's the truth that this little transition here is so huge in our lives. True, we were dead in our sin, but that debt was paid by Jesus. He died on the cross so that you and I might truly live. And that life we once lived, that's described for us in verses 2 and 3, that had that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, is long gone. So, as Paul mentions that for us, we're supposed to look back and see this contrast of who we were apart from Christ compared to who we are in Christ. That's the whole point of that passage. As you look back, you're supposed to look back and say, wow, I was a train wreck headed for disaster. And that's not what I am now. I'm a new creation in Christ. So it's this wonderful contrast that he gives for us. Not only do we look back, though, to remind us of what God has saved us from, God wants to work a response in us as we understand this amazing salvation gift that we've been given. So you look back in this contrast and you see where it is you've been saved from, where it is you are now, and then you respond in service to God and gratefulness and seeking to know Him better. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So, despite who we were before, make no mistake, our identity is in Christ. We're new creations. We're not supposed to dwell on that old sinful man. That's who we were. That's not who we are. The old sinful man is dead. And Paul encourages us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. He says that we're to forget the past, that old sinful man, and press on to what God has for us, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the perspective we're supposed to have on the past. The old man is dead. And so you look back to gain that contrast, but then you realize that he's gone. That old person is dead. The truth is that, verse 5, we're alive in Christ. By grace we've been saved. And verse 6, we've been raised up with Christ. So positionally, we've been transformed and renewed, and now we're children of God. That's positionally where God has placed us. But the enemy, he wants us to look back and remember all of our failures. 
remember who we were apart from Christ. He wants us to see our shortcomings, all of our sins, forgetting the place that Jesus Christ has put us in, forgetting positionally where we really are, to the point that we're trapped into thinking that we're still dead in our sins, which is in fact not true. But if we get trapped in that mindset, that has a hopeless end because we know that the end of sin is death. So the enemy can sort of take us out of the game, so to speak, if we get trapped in that mindset into identifying with our old man. Our old man is dead. That's not where identity is. That's not what the scriptures teach. The only reason why this passage is mentioned is to give us a contrast so we can see, wow, Lord, you did all of this for me in my life. And that's the idea. So the truth is, we are alive in Christ. We have hope. And our position in Christ is a sure thing. He mentions in verse 5, too, he says that by grace we have been saved. And God continues to show that grace in our lives. In verse 7, he says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this grace of God that saved us is also continually being manifested in our lives as he works his sanctification process out. So God shows his love toward us, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. So this grace that's lived out day by day in our lives, we should also, as we look back on our lives, not see the old sinful man and who we were apart from Christ, but we should look back for evidences of those riches of God that are played out in our lives. So as you look back in your walk with Christ, you should see these pillars that you set up as, as pillars of faith, ev clear evidences that God is working in and through you and his grace is being manifested in your life. That's the perspective we're supposed to have when we look back. This contrast of who we were to who we are now and those evidences of, of the riches of his grace that are poured out in our lives. And we know that from the Bible, this is the perspective we're supposed to have. If you remember back to the Old Testament, when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he established feasts and ceremonies to help the children of Israel remember how God had helped them and how he had poured out his grace on their lives. So we're going to quickly review those. The first one, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was to remember how God had delivered them Remember the Passover was when the, the firstborn of the children of Egypt were all killed, but those who by faith trusted in the Lord and put the Lamb's blood above their door, the Lord passed over those houses and didn't kill those firstborn. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was supposed to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt. The bread was unleavened because they didn't have time to let it rise. They had to leave immediately. And so they had this feast to remind them that God had passed over and saved them, and that he had delivered them from Israel. So he set up this feast that was to be held every year so they could remember that. The Feast of Firstfruits happened at the barley harvest, which was the first harvest of the year, and it was supposed to recognize the redemption of the firstborn and God's bounty that he had given them in the Promised Land. The Feast of Weeks occurred at the wheat harvest, and it was a festival of joy remembering how God had given them the blessings. The Feast of Trumpets 
remembered the Lord's favor. The Feast of Atonement remembered the atonement of the, of the uh, people and the covenant that God had made with them. The Feast of Booths remembered God is present with his people. The idea is that throughout the year they were supposed to specifically gather to remember these events that God had done as a testimony of his grace. So we, too, should look back on our life in Christ. And what we should see is these evidences of how God has worked in our lives. That's how we're encouraged in our faith. So when we face a trial or a difficulty, we look back and we remember, oh, at this time and in this moment, God was with me in this specific way, and it was evident and clear, and I know it was him. And because he was with me then, I know he's with me now, and he will be with me tomorrow. That's the view we're supposed to have of the past as we look back. Properly putting into perspective the way God is working in and through our lives. So this should be, as you look back and see his faithfulness, or has the enemy distracted you? And all you remember as you look back are your failures and your shortcomings, the disappointments, the ways that you have let the Lord down. It's my prayer that the Lord will work in your heart to see you as he sees you. When he looks at us, he doesn't see that. Now, we're going to address those because that's certainly part of our sanctification process. But it's not who we are in Christ. We're new creations in Christ, and it's so important to have that proper perspective. So verse 8 talks about, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the truth that we should see here is that by grace through faith we've been saved. It's a gift of God to us. It's his gift to us. So none of this has anything to do with our works, our efforts, our failures, our shortcomings. It's all about Jesus and the work he's doing in us. It's dependent upon him, not us. Not anything wonderful we're doing, not anything horrible we're doing, because it's all about him. And that's the idea. Because by grace we've been saved through faith. It's, it's not about us. And verse 9 makes it clear. It's not a result of works. Any work, whether good or bad, it's not about that. So that none of us will boast. There's no room for boasting because it's not a result of us. It's all about Christ and the way he's working in and through our lives. Who we are in Christ is based on Jesus. That's the truth. And who I am today is not defined by my past. It's not defined by what others think of me or say of me. I've been saved by grace through faith. That's the truth. And it's that relationship that you have with the Lord that should encourage you and strengthen you as you keep your hope and your heart set on that truth. So here's the idea. We were dead in our sins but now we're alive in Christ. And we are to remember the evidences of His grace in our lives. Not so that we can be boastful or puffed up and, and, and say, how great am I? But that so that God will increase our faith, that He may use us as His vessel more and more so that He will be glorified. That's the process He wants to work in our hearts and in our lives. Now, the book of Ephesians is, is just an amazing book. 
The first three chapters talk about who we are positionally. It, it, it's really rich to encourage us in who we are in Christ. We took a little snapshot. I'd encourage you to go through it in a lot of detail. The last three chapters of the book talk about our response to that position. Because of who we are in Christ, this is how we are to live. It's this response basis. So we don't have time to go through three whole chapters on how we're supposed to live. We're going to condense it down to this one verse in verse 10. But I want us to be thinking about how these truths are manifested in our life. They are, in fact, true. The Bible states them. But how do we apply them? How do, how do we make them real to us? How does this truth help us on a day-to-day -day basis? Because that's why we were given the truth, is so that we might grow and become more like Christ. So that's really kind of what verse 10 is, is encouraging us. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, or maybe a little translation here would be God's poema or poem. So we're God's poem. He has written his word upon our hearts. He has placed his spirit within us, and we've been created by God for good works. That's the picture that he's trying to create here. So Jesus saved us from this path we were on before so that we could serve the living God. And as we walk with God by faith, we're to faithfully do that which he's created us to do, which he's, he's gifted us to do, he's empowered us to do, he's equipped us to do, and he's leading us to do. That's the idea. Because we're his workmanship. He's created us for a purpose. However, we know life can be complicated. Life gets busy. And we still have our old sinful nature. We still are stuck in these tents, these earthly tents, as the Bible calls them. And, and our sinful nature can get in the way of what God is trying to do. And God knew, knew that, though. He told us that in this world we will have tribulation. It's not a surprise. He didn't, oh, no, now what are we going to do? He knew that. He knew that the cares of life would distract us. He knew that we would need a daily focus on him. He knew that he needed to put his spirit in us to give us the power to enable us to live the way that he wants us to live. All of those things are true. But remember, we were, cre we were created for good works, and it's not a hopeless journey we're on. It, you can do it because of Christ who is in us. Verse 5 says that by grace we've been saved. But remember that this is just not a one-time shot of grace to save us. Verse 7 made that clear. Because the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, those are shown every day in the sanctification process that God is taking us on. So the grace not only saves us, it reminds us and teaches us to turn from what is right and to turn to what is um, turn from what is wrong and turn to what is right. So theologians call that process sanctification. So positionally, we're new creations in Christ. We're seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We read that in this passage. But we still have these old tents, these old earthly bodies, and we live here in this fallen world with our sinful nature. We've each been gifted 
in a specific way. The scripture is clear that all of us have been given gifts. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says we've been blessed with all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's a true statement about who we are in Christ. And we're called to be salt and light to those around us. But from time to time, we don't do so well. We're not so salty and we're not very light. And this is the truth. So I wanted to try and think of an example of how, how God works in, in three different ways in our lives to correct those things in us. So sometimes we're doing things that are outright sinful and we need to be corrected. Other times we need to be grown in a certain area. There's some work God wants to do in our heart where he needs some growth to happen and so a trial will come to help us grow. And other times, he does things in our lives that aren't even for us. They're for, for the person next to us. As they see us respond to what God is doing in our lives, they're encouraged. Or we go through the trial so that at a later point, he can then use that comfort that he's comforted us with to comfort someone else who's going through the same thing. So I want us to kind of look at these three aspects. So the first one, if we're doing something wrong or sinful because of our sinful nature that we have. So let's say that I'm baking chocolate chip cookies. I do this often with my little, little daughter, Violet. And I could certainly do it much faster by myself. I mean, I, I don't even need to look at the recipe. I've made them so many times. I could just go through and make them. But see, that's not the point. The point is that I want to use her to help me so that one day she can do it based on what I've taught her. And when others taste that cookie and they say, man, that's the best chocolate chip cookie I've ever had. How did you learn to do that? My dad taught me. See, so she points back to the one who taught her. That's what the Lord wants to do in us. He wants to work in us so that when we are doing what he wants us to do by his power, and someone asks us, how are you able to do that? Oh, the Lord showed me how to do that. So you're seeing the Lord work in and through me as I do this task. Now, if we go back to this chocolate chip cookie example, when I first work with Violet, if I was to hand her the measuring cup and the bag of flour, it would be a disaster of how much flour would actually end up in the pan. It certainly wouldn't be the required amount, and it would get everywhere. So I correct her, because she's not quite doing it in the right way. And I've learned that if I hold the measuring cup and let her pour the flour, that doesn't work so well. The other way around works fine, though. If she holds the cup and I hold pour the flour, we get the right amount every time. So see, it's this process of correction that we go through. We are doing things in not quite the right way. So the Lord will come alongside and correct us and guide us. No, 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 no. That's not what grace looks like. This is what grace looks like. No, 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 no. That's not what love looks like. This is what love looks like. No, no, no. That's not what serving looks like. This is what serving looks like. And so he corrects us and guides us. And when we step out of line, he corrects us. When we're making cookies together and Violet steps out of line, I correct her. And I correct her in a loving and instructional way so that she'll know how to do this herself one day. And if she commits the ultimate sin, adding nuts to chocolate chip cookies, that's, then we have big words, right? And, and, and yeah, see what I'm, yeah. 
And, and the Lord does the same thing with us, right? Sometimes we really step out of line. We really totally blow it. We, we do, you know. First John is very clear on this point. If we say with, we are without sin, we're a liar. So we know we're going to sin. We know we're going to step out of line. And the Lord, he corrects us. He guides us. And as we live for him, we may get boastful. We may become disobedient or lazy or just downright wrong. The Lord will step in and correct us as we're on this journey. But it doesn't change who we are positionally. It doesn't change our identity in Christ. It has nothing to do with that. It's just our old sinful nature rearing its ugly head, and the Lord wants to work a work in us to undo that sinful part of us. But it doesn't change positionally who we are, and that's so important to remember. Because the enemy, he wants to attack the position you have so that you feel hopeless. That's always the place he goes to. And you can usually identify when the enemy is speaking to you in this way because he's very generic. Oh, you're worthless. That's not how the Lord corrects us. The Lord, he's not this taskmaster that's saying, nope, that's not right. No, that's the wrong way. No, that's not it. That's not it. That's not this. No, not this. He's very specific. And he corrects us in a way that encourages us and strengthens us. He's a loving Father who guides us. Those are the things that we look for when we step out of line because that's Him correcting us and encouraging us. Because remember, His goal is that in and through us, His power is working. And someone sees that and then they ask you, what is that about? And you point to Jesus and you give Him glory. That's what He wants in our lives. Well, our sinful nature gets in the way of that. So he brings us these trials and tribulations and events in our lives that will correct the things that we're doing wrong so we can be more like Christ. And that's the process that happens because we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when we're not doing those good works, yes, he will correct us. And yes, we're, we know we're going to sin. We know we're going to get it wrong. And if we persist in getting it wrong, God will turn up the heat. He will eventually get our attention. But it's only so that we will know him, will know his ways, and will understand that he is faithful and that his way is best. That's what he wants in our lives. So those trials and tribulations that come up can be for correction. Now, they also can be for growth. There are certain areas of our lives where we're not as strong as God wants us to be. Remember, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's equipped each one of us. He's given each one of us a blessing, a calling, something he wants us to do as we live for him. And when we're not growing the way that we need to in order to do that good work that he has for us, then he'll bring a trial so that we grow in that specific way. So as we live for God, he brings obstacles and trials so that we're growing in a specific area. It's not that we're doing something wrong. It's just that we're not growing. We need to progress. We need to move along the path. In, in one of Paul's letters, he talked about, I think it was the Corinthians, he reminded them that they still needed spiritual milk because they weren't yet ready for the meat of the word. See, they needed growth to get to the point that they could be where God wanted them to be. So as we are thinking about this idea that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
Positionally, we're in Christ. Nothing's changed. We just need to move forward in one area or another. And so he'll bring us a trial. And these trials take on all different kinds of shapes and sizes. So we have to seek the Lord to see what it is he's trying to teach us in the midst of this trial. It, it may be that we're doing something wrong and we need correction, right? The passage that comes to mind in Psalm 139, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That kind of an idea. Or maybe we just need to grow. Maybe there's some way he wants to increase our faith, make us more confident in him in a certain area. And so he'll bring a trial. If we seek the Lord, he'll show us what he's doing. It's, he's, he wants us to grow. He wants us to understand how to apply those truths to our lives. And then the other perspective we need to think about is for others. God brings trials so that we may be a blessing for others. Specific times when our response in a certain situation helps others see Christ. So it has nothing to do with us. It may be painful. It, it may even be tragic. And it, 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 you may not understand why it's even happening. I was uh, reading through Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was given a message by the Lord, and he was told that, he was told in the morning that by evening his wife would be dead. And uh, at evening his wife died, and he was told, do not mourn for her. And the reason why God did that was so that those disobedient Israelites who were in exile at the time would look at him and say, well, why aren't you mourning? And, and he would be able to be a testimony to the Lord based on what God had done. Now, that's a pretty extreme example. But it's clearly a point when God did a work that had nothing to do with Ezekiel, had nothing to do with his wife. It had everything to do with those around them who would be observing the response they had to what God was doing in and through them. So sometimes, as we're created for his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, things happen in our lives that have nothing to do about us. But God wants to do a work through us so that others may grow and be blessed. So you can seek the Lord if that's happening in your life. Lord, this trial, I've been doing everything you've asked me. I, I don't see any sinful thing that may have caused this. I'm, I'm strong in this area. I'm, I'm, you're encouraging me and strengthening me. Why is this happening? Oh, there might be somebody else that the Lord is going to use that lesson for as they watch you go through it. So the truth is that positionally, we're new creations. We're God's workmanship. We were created for good works. And God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. And we're to remember that you and I have a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope in Jesus that transforms our very life. If we really understand these truths, we're on such a sure foundation that we should never be shaken. A complete positional transformation has occurred at the moment Jesus saved us and changed us from once what we once were, dead in our trespasses and sins, verses one, verses 1 through 3, to what we are now, alive together with Christ, verses 3 through 9. This is the truth that's happened in our lives. And nothing that happens should sway us from this truth. We should stay focused on this truth.
He's working in us both to will and to do His good works. So as life moves about around us, we can't forget that we're God's poem, His workmanship. He's saved us so that we might glorify Him by doing the things He's called us to do as we walk in His grace day by day, and we know that the best ending ever awaits for us, eternal life. Eternal life is at the end of this path. That's what waits for us. We get to spend forever in heaven with Jesus. That's the end of the road. Positionally, that's not going to change. Day by day, it may not always feel that way. But that's the truth of it. So what occurs day by day can influence that sure foundation that we've been placed on. We, we have, in fact, we are, in fact, seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. We are, in fact, through Christ Jesus, created to live out our lives on a day-by-day basis for Christ Jesus to do good works. We should walk in them, keeping in mind that at the end of the path, we have eternal life. This is a sure and steady path that we're on. So I pray that you will seek the Lord to help you apply these truths to your lives over this week and the next week and until the Lord calls you home. Thank you.